Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host Shane Lee. Today on the show I present to you something a little different. It's a recording of our live Lunch with Lee podcast held recently at the Sporting Globe in Sydney. On the day I spoke to former creators Lenny Pascoe, Richard Chiqui and Gavin Robertson. We also had Kieran Gribben join us for a musical performance, which I'll play for you at the end of the show, so make sure you stick around for that. Thanks to our sponsors for the day, Cell Aid and, of course, O'Brien Beer. It was such an amazing day, so make sure you join us for the next one. Let's get started. I'm your host Shane Lee. Today on the show, Len Pascoe, a former New South Wales Australian fast bowler playing 14 tests for Australia and 29 one-day internationals. He's a coach, a journalist, an art dinner speaker, a mad fisherman and a pretty funny bloke. Welcome Lenny. Yeah, I've, uh, thank you very much for the invitation. I feel a bit squashed here. <laughs> you do? God! <laughs> My second guest, Richard Chiqui, a former New South Wales opening batsman playing 21 matches for New South Wales, scoring a match-winning 131 in the 1993-94 one-day final. He's the lead singer of the band Six and Out, an elegant golfer, and one of my great mates. Welcome, Cheeks. <laughs> Thanks, Shana. Elegant golfer. Elegant golfer, yes. And Gavin Robertson, a former New South Wales Australian off-spinner, playing four tests for Australia, 58 first-class matches. He's tested bill in India, returned four wickets with the ball, 50 runs with the bat, pretty exceptional test taboo. He's the drummer of the band Six and Out. He's an artist. He paints nude. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> and he's one of my great friends. Welcome, Robbo. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. <laughs> nice to be here. Now, I'm, I'm going to start with Lenny, because uh, for those who don't know, Lenny was around in World Cup um, World Cup series time around Kerry Packer. I'm just going to, I won't sing this, but I'm just going to read out the words. We've been training all the winner, and there's not a team that's fitter. And that's the way it's got to be. Because you're up against the best, you know. This is super test, you know. You've got to beat the best the world has ever seen. Lily's pounding down like a machine. Then the six words that immortalise you, Pasco's making divots in the green. How good's that? Shane, every time oh, I hear that. Sexy, yeah. Every time I hear that, I want to cry. You do? I never got paid a cent for it. <laughs> Kieran, where are you? <laughs> Does anyone know what the next line of that song is? Out of interest? Leaders making runs. No. Marshy's taking wickets. Hooksy's clearing pickets. Someone's clearing pickets. And yeah. Chapel's eyes got the killer glean. But, it, mate, Slane, let's start with that. Um, Kerry Packer, I, I met Kerry twice. I was totally intimidated both times. How did you find being a young boy from Macedonian descent, all of a sudden you're from Bankstown and, you, and you, you're hanging with one of the most powerful men in the world? Well, you know, first of all, you got to look at my background. Yes, I was Macedonian and um, I believe my father had Scottish, so half of me wanted to get pissed, the other half didn't want to pay for it. So, <laughs> That's been, that's been my life. Uh, that, that sums that up. Uh, so when Kerry Packer was there, uh, when I first met him, uh, Tomo and I were uh, talking fishing, of all things. Yep. We're talking about catching brim and that. So he joins us and he's talking about fishing off a satellite boat and uh, with Jack Nicholas and the catching marlin. We're a little bit out of our depth. But uh, you, you're right, he was an imposing character. But uh, uh, Kerry, look... He was paying the freight. He expected the results. And I remember uh, he told us very clearly, 
up to 12 o'clock. It's your time after that, it's my time. In other words, get to bed, make sure you're fit for the next day. Uh, he had certain standards and uh, we had to live up to them. Now, Cheeks, um, Mark Taylor once said, uh, you're not a good bloke unless you have a nickname. <laughs> Richard Cheekwee, these are your nicknames. Cheeks, Chewy, Chichiman, Chichiman, The Conjurer, RCQ, and Kung Fu Panda. You must be a, <laughs> you must be a fucking great yeah. bloke. <laughs> Kung Fu Panda never stuck. <laughs> And I think it was you that called me Kung Fu Panda as it well. It was. <laughs> I think you called me Humphrey. Yeah. You, just, you decided to give him that name when we we're having a shower and we we're all naked. You thought, I'm running with this. <laughs> no, you yeah, had a few nicknames in the time, but I mean, that's all. That's been part of being Australian, isn't it? And, and Robert, who gave you the nickname Riddler? David Friedman. Yeah? Yeah. Only because um, I can't remember. I think it was John Tucker, the journo, and helped me out with a great Sydney Morning Herald journo. Was, was there a great one? <laughs> and Phil Wilkins. And oh, yeah. um, he says, they're going on. We just, we just beat Western Australia. It was the year when, uh, remember we got pummeled in Western Australia. We were beaten in one hour, four days and ten minutes. And then we came back and we smashed WA here and I ended up with Sixfa. And he said to me, Robbo, you know, great day, blah, blah, blah. But when that group come together, it's just... Off the, I've never seen a group come together. They just are so excited and happy. I said, mate, I'm telling you. I said, if you could stick all of that stuff in a little bottle, chuck it on the chemist bench, yep. you'd sell truckloads and make millions, mate. He goes, well, what's that mean? I go, you work it out. Anyway, David <laughs> Friedman came back and said to me, you're not going to believe what the, what the F Robbo's just done. I, I don't even know what he meant. So... I got the Riddler from there. I've just run with it forever. And even I met my wife when I was in first class, and she sometimes calls me the Riddler. So I'm going to tell you. Let's see why. And, um, <laughs> Do you wear a cape? Yeah. Huh? Is that when you wear a cape? I don't wear the cape anymore. Like, because <laughs> like, it just, yeah, our old mate, I'm 56 now. Our old mate's sort of retired. He's, uh, is he? he does about six leaks a day, and that's about it, yeah. <laughs> It swims between the flags now. Now, now Lenny, you, you were born, um, the original Tatanovich. Your grandfather's name was Pasco. It was, was it your dad's choice to change the name or yours? Yeah, my dad just went to, the, 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 to his dad's name, as simple yeah, as that. Yep. Yeah, I just, I never made an issue out of it and it was no issue with me. But you've got to remember, back in uh, uh, those days, jeez, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys, did you get bullied at school? Yeah, I, I tell, help my cricket. <laughs> you know, someone had have a shot at me. I turn around and I go, "Give me a cricket ball, and we'll see if your mouth's st- still that big." And you know, uh, we grew up in a in a period where baseball was played uh, in the winter, and a lot of the sledging that was going on in baseball permeated into cricket. And at Bankstown, we had some incredible tussles uh, with Petersham because they were full of baseballers and so were we. The other thing is at Bankstown, uh, we uh, basically couldn't bat our way out of a wet paper bag. And uh, we got two young quicks. There was Tomo and myself. And bear in mind, I was the brains of the duo to this day. <laughs> and, and we did go to school together. And, and whilst we went to school together, uh, at least I turned up. His yeah. parents turned up more than he did. <laughs> so, 
so it was a period where you got these two young quicks, they're 16 years of age, and uh, it was good to see this afternoon that uh, uh, the opening batsman, Olsen and uh, Pearson. Yeah, yeah John, Johnny Pearson, one of the greats. Yeah, see yeah they're telling me yeah. how they slot me all around the ground. Uh, yeah. Did he? Oh, great memories, haven't they? Yeah, it, would, it would have been a square cut of Johnny Pearson, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, Chiefs, I want to ask you, so, uh, so Johnny's background, like how, how does a young, you've got a, uh, a beautiful brother, Michael, um, you grew up in the eastern suburbs, um, how do you, and you, you sort of get into cricket? That's not a normal thing, I'm assuming. No. Well, it is if you're Australian, sort yeah. of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a fish and chip shop. Uh, you know, in the eastern suburbs. So I didn't actually get any more Australian than that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, we played soccer, you know, during the uh, the winter and then the same team played cricket during the summer. And as we got older, you know, soccer became less and less and we sort of focused on the cricket. I know why. You used to be a goalkeeper. We played together. You, you couldn't fucking keep pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember the five-all draw we had, didn't we? <laughs> actually... Going on, uh, Lenny changed, changed his name. I actually thought about changing my name. Well, what to? Yeah, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> but they said, no, we've got to... <laughs> they said it wouldn't make a difference, Cheeks. <laughs> You're starting to look like him. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe his cousin Bruce, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to ask you, Cheeks, that, well, this, this is one of my favourite stories. Um, Cheeks, he's, he comes through, he's, both him and his brother uh, uh, scoring... Hundreds and th- oh, not, I should say thousands of runs. Um, Truckloads. You go over to England to play in Northern England to play like a league season. You're on a plane with about six or seven other Australian cricketers up there in Northern England. They're waiting. The clubs are waiting to collect their Australian players. What happened? <laughs> there were four of us. There's my brother and myself and two other guys, Andrew Milliken and uh, Adam Harris, and they're expecting four Australians. This is 1989, and we got off the train in Liverpool. Uh, Lime Street Station in Liverpool and we're looking and we're thinking there's no mobile phones there's no, none of this and they're expecting four Aussies and we're looking for a scouser who's w- waiting to receive these Australian cricketers so Spike pulls out his cricket jumper and holds it up in the air and says Aussie cricketers we're here we're here Aussie cricketers and the scouser hobbles over and he looks over and says are you the Aussies Lake? and Spike goes yeah nice to meet you you know I'm from Australia this is Adam Harris and those two blokes over there, that's Richard and Michael Cheekwick. And he looks over and he says, Fucking where? <laughs> and I walk over to the bloke and say, G'day, mate, nice to meet you. Richard Cheekwick is my brother Michael. And he looks at me and says, Well, you fucking sound like him. <laughs> didn't, he, didn't they make you play that afternoon to be able to prove you could actually play cricket? True story, yeah. We had to go to training. They said, You two can go play for Liverpool, who came last in the, uh, they last in the competition the year before. And this season was going to be a big one because it was promotion relegation. First first year. So they wanted to finish. They certainly didn't want to finish in the bottom three because otherwise they'd get rele- relegated to a two-tier competition. So they made Michael and I go and train before they picked us. Oh, really? At the end of the season, we, came, we won all the cup match competitions. We came second in the league. And they came to us and said, Fucking hell, Chinese could play cricket. <laughs> and I said, no, mate, we're Australian. Nice to meet you. I love that. Stay with us because we'll be back after this short break. In life, the most important thing is trust. Without it, everything is a lot harder in a quickly changing and turbulent time. 
Barclay Pierce Capital is a safe pair of hands, an organisation built on people. They understand you've worked hard to build your nest egg and their asset management business is tailored to suit your needs. Their services help grow your wealth in order to provide long-term safety and security for you and your family. BPC, just a phone call away. If you're ready for your next thoroughbred racing adventure, then join the Osher Group. They exceed expectations on what racehorse ownership should look like. Australia's racing industry is enjoying unprecedented growth. Through a strategic, well-managed and data-driven approach, there is now a very real opportunity to build a profitable and sustainable thoroughbred portfolio. Find the Osher Group online at theoshergroup.com. Robbo, you, you grew up um, in Dundas Valley. Yeah. Tough times, and like Gavin learnt to hot wire a car before he, before he could play a cut shot. Uh, and if it was a 186 auto, it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the old 161 grey motors in the, in the old EHs and EJs were difficult. Yeah. So what, what was it like? But like, you used to get a buck 50 if you could knock it over at the back of Coles and get it going. Right. So, yeah, I used to, I, that's how I made my first money. Just so, and, and so from that, from hot wiring cars, a natural progression was into cricket? Oh, absolutely. I was doing pretty well. I was at Balmain, and God rest his soul, um, Fred Bennett was a legend and running Cricket Australia. And I just got picked in the Australian Under-19 team. And I remember him, he was over on the hill at Dremoyne talking to my mother. And my mother used to come watch me play cricket. And she used to be a bandstand dancer, my mum, but here she is on the hill all the time at cricket in the swimsuit. And Freddie went over and said, listen, Helen, uh, Gavin's going to India with the Australian team. He's going to be, he's in first grade. He's doing really well. He's going to be in the Shield squad when he gets back. And I think you're going to have to quit being at cricket with your bra on or your swimmers. Uh, if you can do that, that'll be good for him. And Brian, I know you're a carpenter by day, but that stuff you're doing at night with your uncles, uh, my uncles, uh, with the tow trucks, etc., and, <laughs> and putting the oil out on the oily corner and causing six cars to um, six cars to crash, and then you come over uh, uh, at Walsh Bay and take them back over to Crow's Nest. You can't do that anymore either. So they they just, <laughs> they just finished and really cleaned up their life as I did. It was really great. It was brilliant, actually, yeah. And I learned to get past the eight times tables. All those, there's a really important period. Eight eights? Huh? Eight eights? 64. Yeah. <laughs> Just checking. Now, Lenny, um, what, I love this fact is that uh, Bankstown Hospital, there's a Thompson-Pasco ward. Because you and Tomo put so many people <laughs> into, into, casu- into casualty with, with your fast bowling. I read that Sandeep Patel, you, you hit him and you actually felt like you wanted to retire. Talk, talk me through that because you hit a lot of people in the head. <laughs> God knows you tried a lot and you hit a lot of people as well. Look, um, the, the part of the, the fast bowler is, as, as uh, uh, Harold Arwood said to me in 77, he said, uh, I love the way you bowl, laddie. Is he in he said, <laughs> <laughs> That's as close as I can get. <laughs> he said, you got the devil in you. And fast bowlers have got a bit of devil in them. I mean, you look at your brother Brett. I mean, he's got a heap of bloody devil in him. And fast bowlers have got to do it. He's got a bit of West Indian in him too. (laughs) (laughs) Shits me. Good looking, fastest bowler in the world. mm. That's why we love Shane, because Shane... And we'll be back after a short break. (laughs) (laughs) So 
<laughs> so, you know, the, the, the situation is, as a fast bowler, you've got to show some, you know, the opposition are firing bloody uh, missiles at you. What are you going to throw? Marshmallows back at them. And during the, we during the West Indies, I mean, they threw enough bombs in there to blow up half of Iraq. And uh, the, thing, the thing is, you have to give it back, otherwise your, your batsmen are looking at you and say, well, what are you doing about it? Because you've got to quieten them down if they think they're going to cop the same. And uh, this particular uh, day at the Sydney Cricket Ground against India, I'm watching uh, Dennis Lilly bowling to Sandy Patel. Then I'm watching uh, Rodney Hogg bowling. And I noticed his, his uh, defensive positioning to the short ball wasn't all that good. And, uh, well, anyway, long and short of it, I bowled him a short one. Nearly broke my toe, but I got it up. And... Uh, He's gone to hook it and it's hit him in the side of the head and he's gone down like a, uh, like a bag of potatoes. And at, at that particular time, uh, I started to really reflect on uh, the people that I had hit over the years. Um, and uh, there have been some really nasty ones. A fellow called uh, Bailey from Bailey's Ladders. He was a very fine cricketer for Glenn, Sutherland. Glenn, Glenn Bailey. Bailey, yep. I hit him in the throat and he ended up vomiting up blood. Uh, there was uh, Georgie Griffiths. Uh, George was my coach. He was, uh, got, uh, and Tomo, of course, uh, he cleaned up. The fast bowlers uh, have a reputation of being pretty, pretty ugly and pretty. You could be ugly, mean. couldn't you? So anyway, I've hit, I've hit Sandy Patel, and then normally today you'd, you'd get the van out there, there'd be doctors and everything. They picked him up and basically said to him, we're taking a photo and put him back up on the stance again. And uh, the guy was gone. And uh, I'm in the dressing room after the game and uh, I'm feeling a little bit... I thought, oh, jeez, I, I hope I didn't bloody do some damage here. Uh, and uh, he's come in and he's got the biggest bandage on his head you've ever seen. And he's come up to me and I'm, in, I'm sitting in the room with head down. I look up and he said, Mr Pasco, Mr Pasco, I'm so sorry for putting my head in the way of your... <laughs> <laughs> And I felt, and I felt, you know, sort of different oh, times, eh? Different I times. I thought, oh, that's a bit of pressure. But I, I, I was going to retire after that because I was a bit scared of what I was capable of doing and uh, where the game was leading. And that's just not me. And uh, different when you're younger and people are, are bullying you and they're making comments and you, you're getting angry. But when you're older, you get a little bit more moss on the rock and you understand more what's going on. And uh, I said to Ian Chappell, he said, I've had enough. I don't want to do this anymore. And he said to me, he said, um, do you think, um, uh, you know, he feels sorry for you if he hit, for, hit, he hit you for six? And I've, <laughs> I've, I've gone, I can understand where you're coming from. And uh, he talked me out of retiring and I played for another year after that. But uh, the devil had gone from the body and uh, time to give it away. He was definitely a good captain in Chapel. He thought PR were two letters that come Latin alphabet. That's all <laughs> he had, He had a different take on things. Um, now, Chicks, I want to go back to Northern England and uh, you're playing up there and um, this is a good, a good lost in translation story. Um, in Australia, when you inside edge the ball, we call it a French cut. In England, it's called a Chinese cut. And Cheeks was batting. What happened, Cheeks? You inside edged the ball? I, I did, yeah. We turned up to this ground and they said, look out for this guy called Jerry Byram. And he hates Australians. Like, he really, really hates Australians. And he's the opening bowler, so don't say anything to him. Don't wind him up because he's liable to do anything. And I thought, well, first of all, I don't look Australian, so that's OK. <laughs> so I went out there to bat and he's, he was 56 years old. 
and he ran it off about four paces and bowled little inly dobblers and it was a wet wicket and I just kept patting him away for two and a half overs and I thought to myself, I can't keep doing this all day. So I ran down the deck and tried to hit him over mid-off and I got an inside edge past the leg stump and because I was always a third out of my crease, I decided to walk the rest of the way. So I walked and as I walked past him, he stood on with a big teapot and he looked at me and said, fucking Johnny, he's got... <laughs> I said, what'd you say? <laughs> he said, looked at me and went, fucking Chinese cut. I said, that's what I thought you said. So I take my gloves off and I grab him and I pick him up off the ground and the umpire comes running around and says, oi, oi, what's going on? What's going on? I said, you heard what he said. And the umpire said, yeah, Chinese cut, so what? <laughs> so I grabbed the umpire. So I've now got two. And let's just, <laughs> they try to explain to me after the game what Chinese cut means. And I'm like, so I still today don't actually know what he said. Yeah. Just as well he wasn't a left arm. Yeah, Chinaman, yes. Chinaman. That's right. <laughs> Stay with us because we'll be back after this short break. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. The new Elite Bet app has arrived. It's got all the betting features you expect and new ones you're going to love. Elite Bet is your one-stop shop on race day with Hot Bet, where you can back the tips of proven winning punters. Build fast sports multis and play same-game multis. The Elite Bet app is the smoothest betting experience around. Trusted for 10 years, Elite Bet is 100% Australian-owned. The only betting app you need this spring is Elite Bet. Gamble responsibly. Now, now, Rob, I want to ask you, like, um, we see cricketers these days earning literally tens of millions of dollars playing cricket, and um, it's only in a blink of an eye that that's happened. Yeah. Um, you started sort of 80s, in the 80s and late 80s, yeah. played through the 90s, yep. and you're a bit of a journeyman. You had to go play down in Tasmania. Yeah. Um, it was really, really tough, but there was a point in your life where um, you have, you're facing some real issues, you, you, and you had a job, and you lost your job, and you couldn't tell your wife that... You'd lost a job and you felt really bad and you went, you were sitting in, was it Parramatta Park? Mm. Do you want yeah. to talk us through that and, and what, what that yeah. was like at the time in your well, life? Well, you just quickly denote, um, yeah, I had some, I had uh, David Friedman, Greg Matthews, and there's another bloke in the room, the only bloke in the room that's knocked over Alan Border twice. So Adrian put your Tucker. hands together for Adrian Tucker. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, they were brilliant. So. If you got something wrong at home, you know, if you weren't informed, you were gone. It didn't matter. So I'd been playing for... We, we won 92, 93, 93, 94. 
Shield double, uh, played for Australia, took off for a year all over the world, come back. Remember Australia A versus Australia final at the MCG? 88,000 people. Next day, get on the bus. Uh, uh, coach uh, Simo's like, nah, not going to um, South Africa, only taking Shane Warne, God rest his soul, only need one spinner. I go home, cool. Seven days later, I go get uh, uh, nappies and milk and the bloke's laughing and he, he says, wait till you read six, page 67, it says Robertson out of the New South Wales side because Greg Matthews was fit but scoring heaps of runs and if he's batting four or five, averaging 52, then they don't need me. So... But what happened was from 88,000 people on January the 17th, 95, I lined up at Parramatta Centrelink five and a half weeks later because I couldn't get a job because no one would employ, they all knew me, but they wouldn't employ me because they said, you know, in four or five months if I train you and you're gone, once the season starts again, I'm, I'm in trouble. So I was unemployable really. And uh, so Centrelink wasn't great, didn't handle it all that well. And I was sliding down the greasy pole of lack of confidence and embarrassment was the primary thing and everyone in you know I'm 56 but when you know born in the 60s or 50s and 40s you were taught to run and hide from embarrassment so and anyway I got booked so I've stuffed this I put my car in Paramount Park walk across to Centrelink anyway I just decided to stay one day and seven hours I stayed for and then all of a sudden I decided Monday to Friday I was going to stay there. And all of a sudden it became three months, three weeks and four days, which I'm not overly proud of, but I got extremely lucky and I met an, an old man fronted me and he said, are you Gavin Robertson? I went, no, nah, mate, wrong bloke. He goes, okay, no worries. Anyway, it was, felt like five minutes, it was 30 seconds and he goes, son, I'm a self-funded retiree, I want my dog here. And um, I had, I was born to no parents and I never went to school. Um, but I know sport so well. I win my trivia competition at the club every month. And he, I just thought I'd ask you what you're doing here, son. And that stuffed me. I was cooked. Trying to hide myself reading the paper, but you can't hide your tears when the paper's underneath you. So he said, I said, yes, yeah, so what? You found me. He said, that's a good start, son. I spent four hours with the man that was astonishing. His life was unbelievable. His ability to own learning, he obviously had nothing right. So imagine being 12 and a half, you've been in 19 foster homes, you have nothing and nobody, and you run out, you live in a bus stop, then you find yourself a job, then you find yourself a caravan, and then all the stuff you don't know at work, you ask all the people, what the boss say? And he writes everything down. And by the time he's 19, 20, 21, he's got seven, eight books filled with information. And at 37, he's just running the place and self-funded retiree, isn't he? Walking his dog at 76 years of age. But you get lucky. He taught me about owning failure. And the two things I do now is I talk to kids about owning failure or people. Uh, he said to me, if you can own and be responsible and learn from 49% failure, you'll have 51% success in your life. He said, he said, don't run and hide. Learn to say yes. And I... I left that man, went home. Two days later, a guy rang me. I said yes immediately to go and to pick in a warehouse at David's Limited at Blacktown. That's what I did. I said yes straight away. But from the learnings of that man, it took me 21 months to become the state manager of shelf management for IGA, and I was desperate. And it was I was in the fuck cricket mode. I can't give a stuff. You know, I'm not, mm. I need to feed my three kids and have a life. So that's really where... I got extremely lucky. It's funny you say that because I think 
you see sports people who get put on a pedestal and you see their failures and you see how they handle that. It's in the public eye all the time. Um, there's people going through that every day in the corporate world, both mm. men and women. Um, might have been demoted or, you know, or even lost their job and things are changing pretty quick in this world. Interest rates are going through the roof. People yeah. are struggling. So uh, it's not just sportsmen, but uh, you need to talk to someone, that's for sure. I was, Lenny, I want to ask, because I reckon that um, I know, I've got three kids myself and I reckon they've got a pretty good life. Um, and I, I, I was brought up pretty – my dad was a blue-collar guy, worked the steelworks. Your dad was a – a bricklayer, was he? No, he was a brick carter. Brick carter? And, yeah, every school holidays he'd have me on the <laughs> bloody brick wagon. I was only 10, 11, I put on my 5, 10 bricks and that become 100 bricks and that become 1,000 bricks. At the end, they were just biscuits in my so hand. So you're doing 2,000 bricks a day? This oh, got four fed. loads a day. <laughs> four loads a day, 2,000. What about the bricks? <laughs> <laughs> If you did a bit of brick laying, you wouldn't look like that now either. <laughs> so there I was at Lion Tile Brick Company. <laughs> Bill O'Reilly's the director of the club, uh, b- b- director of the, the, uh, the club, uh, the, uh, the brickyard. And I've got one, ladies, I've got one leg on the stack of bricks, the other one's on the wagon. I've got the shirt off. Every bit of sweat on my body is like diamonds falling off. <laughs> and there was muscles on my muscles. Hemsworth. Don't look at the ladies. <laughs> and, and, and we've only got three followers in the whole of this business. <laughs> Bill O'Reilly would come past and he'd say, keep working on that back, son, you're going to need it. So I've gone in to get the ticket to take me to the next place. And uh, by the way, my father thought I had a career in brick carting because he saw my exam results. And, uh, <laughs> and Bill O'Reilly said to me, what sort of a bowler are you? And I said, oh, when I do, you know, I, I hold the ball like this, I do this, I do that. And he said, son, he said, I could find a thousand bowlers doing what you just said in Moore Park playing on a Saturday. He said, all you've got to do, son... Landed on the seam, ain't it off stump, and hit the keeper's gloves as hard as you can, and the rest will happen. And that's all I ever did. And that's and that's what I that's what I taught Glenn McGrath, Stuart Clark, and uh, in the early days the two wars. Don't overcomplicate things. Well, uh, the more I went uh, up the ladder in cricket, the less brick carton I did, and uh, that's how I uh, developed my cricket. What was the story about um, you? Uh, you started performed pretty well for Australia or New South Wales and and your dad wanted you to cart bricks and you, you, you got your own, you got, you got a new a bike? What, what did your oh, dad yeah. do? What, oh, yeah. what did he do to you? Oh, it was very simple. Just, he love, smashed it. He what? <laughs> he smashed it. <laughs> you know, like he's come with a load of, tr- he's got a load of bricks and I've got the push bike and I've been picked to play in some rep thing and I'm thinking I'm taking it easy so I'm polishing my push bike and uh, he just wanted a hand to take a few thousand bricks off uh, you know, and I'm in there and I'm washing it and he said, yeah, really? Walked out, got jumped out of the truck, got the bike and went bang and said, now ride that. And he got in the truck and off he went and I'm sitting in there and I'm looking at my bent bike with bent wheels and, and then I realised what it was all about. You know, my dad wanted someone to keep him company because remember... You know, it's four or five days a week, uh, brick after brick, thousands of bricks, pushing big, heavy trucks. Mm. And uh, you ask your son to come and get... And I learned a lot from that. Yeah. And uh, when I was out in the middle and I was bowling and it's a hot day and, you know, your bum's dragging and the captain says, uh, 
uh, you've got one more, you say, yes, I remember the day of the bike, and uh, you put in. Uh, Brett's like that. I don't know if your father ever smashed Brett's bike, but he's got he's got the he's got the same he's got the same attitude. Brett, Brett had the gayest bike I've ever seen. It was, it was like it was this gold thing with streamers and a basket. Why doesn't that surprise us? I had a nice BMX. Yeah, it was good. I should have smashed his bike actually. But but the thing. <laughs> The thing, the thing is that when you're out in the middle and you're playing for Australia, don't ever think that you're the best. You're just one of the luckiest because there's a guy driving a tractor down there in, in Dubbo. Well, there's a guy who's, who's going to be a doctor or whatever. Uh, you know, so you're really privileged. So when you go out there to play for, a, play for your country, you're representing you know, all those people out there. They're following you. And the last day you go through the gate at the Sydney Cricket Ground is the first day you give back to all those people mm. that cheered. It's so true. I remember playing one of my first games in New South Wales and we're yeah. flying back into Sydney and um, we're flying over to Steve Small, who was the New South Wales opening batsman at the time, sitting next to him on the plane and he grabbed me and he said, look at those houses down there. We represent every one of those. I thought, wow, that's pretty, it sort of really, really hit home. Actually, he did that to me too. Did he? Yeah, yeah he, said that, he did that to me too. He said, uh, First game, New South Wales, heading over to Queensland. We're taking off, and he said, Chicks, look out the window, tell me what you see. And I'm looking around at the cars, looking very small. He said, No, look a bit harder. And I, I didn't know where he was going, and he said, I said, Houses? He said, Yep, every single one of those houses now is who you represent, so don't forget it. Well, I said that to Chris Muldoon the other day. I said, Look, every one of those houses that you own now. <laughs> Very rich man over here. Anyway, but... Um, <laughs> it's his wanna, shout today, by the way, too. It's his shout. <laughs> now, I want to um, just quickly talk about the cricket. There's been a lot of upsets in this T20 um, tournament so far. Um, Ireland beat England. Can you believe that? Um, I never thought I'd hear the day you woke up go, Namibia won? That's unbelievable. It's, um, it's all happening. Um, a really interesting stat, if you talk about the Poms, um, that Alastair Cook, the former opening batsman, um, spent more time at the crease than Liz Truss did in office, which I thought was a really interesting stat. Cheeks, just quickly, who do you think is going to win this T20 World Cup? I actually think it's going to be the Poms. Uh, I saw them come over. The way they prepared for this tournament uh, and also the way they played against Australia in those three warm-up games, I haven't seen a look in their eye for a long time. Uh, they didn't just beat the Australians, they annihilated us in those three warm-up games. And every time they took a wicket, they didn't celebrate it. They just had this, it was all about business. And yes, Ireland beat them, to be fair, it was all about run rate. But, um, but I, I just think uh, the game tonight, I think... Big game tonight, uh, Big yep. game tonight. No, uh, my, tip is, my tip is England. They've got no Robert? weakness. Thoughts? Uh, I just love Australia to maybe try and own a Yorker. <laughs> um, you, can get, um, you can get the Yorker at the reject shop or... Um, it's not that difficult, but we seemingly, in the last five overs, can't own it, which shits me, to be honest. But I'm, I'm just trying to be nice about it. I hope I was nice about it. And I'm not sure. I, I, I don't agree with you, Chewy, on England. I think India's going to win. I just think what you're doing... I think that... I think India are astonishing. I watched Coley bat last night. He was off the planet. Like, I'm talking about... It wasn't even... It wasn't even pitched two foot in front of the batsman. It was almost two inches, and somehow he got under and flicked it over fine leg for six. I mean, he's doing stuff. But the other thing is when they're, they're in the shit, he pulls it together, and he might be one off every ball. And then they get some confidence, bang, he goes, 
aggressive, but he hits on the ground and gets fours until the sixes are desperately needed. He's, he's unbelievable. Greatest, greatest knock I've ever seen in 2020 cricket. I mean, if I was the Australian coach, if I was McDonald, I would sit the top order down, in, in particular, you know, Maxwell and Stoinis, and say, have a look, <laughs> and say, have a look at this innings, not one reverse sweep, not one lap, not one unconventional stroke, and he played one of the most incredible innings. I mean, that ball before he flicked it off his legs, where he hit it straight, where the ball was above waist tight and hit it with a straight bat past the bowler for six. Oh, I, I haven't seen that And, and what well, who do you reckon, mate? I know you're 72 now, so you're probably not up at 7.30 at night. You're probably having a nap. But <laughs> <laughs> he's going to win. Hey, I got one of those defibrillators coming. I'm happy. Well, well, I still want to talk about that. Um, you'll see on your table that's um, uh, Cell Aid, right? It's a, um, it's a really good uh, Australian company. Um, defibrillators cost about 3000 bucks normally. These things are 300 bucks. If you're looking for a um, – talk to the guys here, Simon's here and, and the team from Cell Aid. We'll have a little chat about that later on. But um, for 300 bucks, you could save some loved ones. And I think, yeah. Lenny, you, you want to get one down the track, mate? Oh, yeah. Because you, you, you've, no, you've had a – I'm doing a this for nothing. I'm yeah. on something to go home with. <laughs> you've, you've had a triple bypass. <laughs> You know what, Shana? Anybody, anybody else I would have given an invoice for four grand. Shana, Shana, I'd give... I'd give, give him the same invoice Brad gives me. Yeah, give yeah. Lenny two, because then he can put one on his car and one on the toilet. Because <laughs> you know what, when he goes to the toilet and he's punching it out, he needs one close. This is called a segue. Now, uh, uh, India, India, in my view, yep. we, uh, are going to be the team yeah. that's going to be there. The reason being is, and it goes back to a match in World Series cricket when Australia were playing the West Indies at Lismore and we needed some quick runs. And the skipper at the time, I can't remember who it was, maybe Doug, I don't know. And uh, Rod Marsh, they were going to send in Max Walker to hit some quick runs. And uh, Rod Marsh said, never send a slogger on a batsman's mission. <laughs> and in T20, I see it happen again and again and again, and it's failure after failure. Okay, Stoinis the other day, he scored his one run in five years. It, you know, <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, a batsman and India are full of batsmen, and they're not uh, sloggers. They're batsmen who can pop, but, uh, bat quickly. Uh, Australia, I think, at the moment, uh, when your captain is not firing, uh, it's like it, it just permeates through the team and it erodes the confidence in a team. I'd like to see Australia and India, but I'm more likely going to see England and uh, India, and it'll probably be India. Well, we'll, we'll take, we're gonna, we'll end it there. But I want to thank Lenny Pascoe, legend of Australian cricket, legend of Australian sport, actually. Really, really, love you, mate. Um, Two, two of my great mates, Richard Chikui and Gavin Robertson, for coming on the show. We've got Kieran Gribben coming up later on. Kieran, you know, Kieran was the last lead singer of Inexcess. He has one of the most amazing voices. Actually, best voice in the room. Cheeks, your second best voice in the room, but, but it's high standards here, mate. And uh, I might even coerce the boys to go and play a couple of songs later on, too. Cheers, guys. We'll be back soon. That's it for Lunch with Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Lenny Pascoe, Richard Chikui, and Gavin Robertson. Thanks to our sponsors, Cellaid, O'Brien Beer, Barclay Pierce Capital and Elite Bet. And once again, thanks to our producer, Dan McHugh. 
And a big thank you goes out to Kieran Gribben. You should check out his website, rockandrollteambuilding.com. I'm going to end the show now with a recording of his amazing musical performance. See you soon. Afternoon, everybody. It's wonderful to be here. Um, I'm a man from Northern Ireland, and Northern Ireland's uh, famous for many uh, scary things, but there's a boy from Belfast called Van Morrison. So I'll start up things off with a song from Van Morrison. night for a moon dance with the stars up above in your eyes off on tabulous night to make romance neath the cover of October sky and all the leaves on the trees they are falling to the sound of the breezes that blow and I'm trying to please you the call of your heart strings of place after low and all the Seems to whisper in her channel So moonlight seems to shine And you blush Can I just have a moment dance with you My love Can I just make some sweet romance with you My love to you tonight I can't wait till the morning is gone and I know that the time it is just right straight into your arms and we're on and the reeds on the trees I've been waiting to the sound that the breezes will blow there and then all my dreams will come true dear there and then I can make it my own and all the
Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here uh, with these lads, Six and Art, Mr. Shane Lee, legend. I had the pleasure of uh, touring the world of, uh, with the, the Aussie band In Excess, A Dream Come True. So I'm going to do an In Excess song for you guys, if that's all right. You're one of my kind 
Yo yo. Oh, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna invite uh, a boy called Sheen Lee to the stage. Yeah, I've been I've been dying to gig with Sheen Lee for years now. This is one of my highlights of my career. I've worked with Madonna, I've worked with NXS, and I've worked with Sheen Lee. Yeah, well, he's a better cricketer than I am, though. Don't ask me what you know is true. I don't have to tell you, and I love your precious heart. I, I was standing, you were there, two worlds colliding. And they could never tear us apart Tear us apart You don't 
That just made my life. That's how good that. It only gets better, ladies and gentlemen. It only gets better. Now I'm nervous. What are we gonna sing? Alright, we're back to Belfast again. I've got two Aussies. Aussies singing Irish music. This is good. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> hey, where do we go? Days where the rains came down in a hollow. Playing a new game Laughing and running Hey, hey <laughs> Slipping and a jumping In the misty morning fog Where our hearts are jumping You The brown-eyed girl I said You're my brown-eyed girl Now whatever happened to Tuesday is so slow Going down the old mine with a transistor radio Saturday in the sunlight laughing high behind a rainbow's wall Slipping down a slotted <laughs> all along the waterfall with you Brown eyed girl, I said, You my brown eyed girl. I cry, Do you remember when we used to sing? La 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 Yeah, just like that. La 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 To find my way now that I'm on my own. I saw you just the other day. Oh my, <laughs> you have grown. That's the memory back there, Lord. Sometimes I'm overcome thinking about it. Sorry, playing in the green grass all along the stadium with you. My brown eyed girl. 
I said, you my love, right I go. Do you remember when? Follow me here. Oh, we used to sing. Sha la 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 Yeah, just like that. Sha la 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 Come on. Sha la 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 Brown eyed girl. <laughs> oh, she's something like that. Twenty six years we've been playing. That's all we know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Cheers. Please take care of Gribbon. <laughs>